Today's podcast is with Patty Sherwood. Patty is a realtor with Long and Foster in Jefferson County. She is going to discuss the steps of selling a house, all the things you need to think about, and what components are important when setting a price, and how to market that house so that realtors and customers and potential buyers see it. This is Patty's second time on the podcast. I'm really happy she came back. Let's hear what Patty has to say. Today's intro song is called Mean in a Good Way. It's written and performed by Peter Clark off of his album, Peter Clark After Dark. Peter, <laughs> Peter describes this song as being the best song to learn hula hooping to. Peter is an avid hooper and recently started a hula hoop repair business. If you ever need hula hoop repair, consider contacting Peter. You can reach him on SoundCloud. Just search Peter Clark After Dark. Have you heard of the Try This West Virginia conference? If you're somebody who is working to build a healthier West Virginia, then you should join the over 500 like-minded people this year at the seventh annual conference. Uh, it's in Buckhannon, West Virginia. This year it's on June 12th and June 13th. Go there to learn about grassroots efforts that are taking place from all around the state, from community gardens to yoga in schools, running and biking programs, and even maybe building a community recreation center. Once you've networked around the conference, there's also opportunities to learn how to apply for grant funding for a project in your own community. Enjoy two days of healthy food, physical activity, and mindful living. Register before March 15th for early bird rates at trythiswv.com slash conference. Patty Sherwood, thank you so much for being on chapter two of Break It Down for Brackens understanding how the real estate market works. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Awesome. I am um, I am uh, really excited to learn about the process of selling a house. But before we do that, let's refresh anybody who might be listening. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background. I have been licensed in West Virginia as a real estate agent since whatever eight years ago it was. It'll be eight years in April. So uh, I've been working um, every day since then. I primarily work in Jefferson and Berkeley counties, although I do referral business uh, across the country and potentially internationally as well. Wow. Um, yeah, Long and Foster is part of the leading real estate companies of the world, so I've got a great network everywhere. I love what I do. I love working with people. I love running my own business. And I also love being part of my community. And although it's not required of my work, it certainly goes hand in hand. Um, but I love that part too, because I get to contribute to the growth and development of where I live and the people in it. So um, I do that too through some of my volunteer work. Um, some of it's related directly to my business. I've uh, served on the board of the Eastern Panhandle Board of Realtors. I to define uh, what that board is, what do they do? So, like many professions, there's professional associations. So, nationally, my professional association is the National Association of Realtors. Mm -hmm. Locally, that's the Eastern Panhandle Board of Realtors. So, um, that's where we work together to um, make sure that we're maintaining high standards in real estate because that's what realtors are known for, and also uh, promoting activities and um, contributing to the community. Nice. I feel like you have, about twice a year, you have some sort of networking event that you host. Is that true? I have several events throughout the year, but I have been hosting, um, are you referring to the Jefferson County Chamber of Commerce? Maybe. I feel like it's always on Valentine's Day or around Valentine's Day. Am I right by that? I do host the February Jefferson County Chamber of Commerce Network nice. um, event. Yes, it is. It's a social event, but I ended up, uh, I think the first time I did it was in February. And since my 
personal logo has a heart on it. Um, and I like Valentine's Day. I've kind of kept that. <clears throat> and I also um, say that my business is all about uh, finding a home and life that you love. So lots of love in what I do, Kevin. Nice. Spreading the love. I don't want to use the word love too much, but yeah. I do love it. That's good. That's good. Let's talk about some of the myths of selling a house. And in particular, I, I always think that some people say, oh, you got to sell a house in whatever month. This is the best month to sell a house. Or that's the best month to sell a house. Or if you're in this location, you want to price it a certain way. What are some of the most common myths? Concerning timing, uh, people frequently think spring is the best time to Why sell a home. Why do they think that? Probably because traditionally there is more volume of sales transactions in the spring. Does that mean there's more houses for sale or that means there's more buyers? Both. Okay. So the myth can be that the spring is the best time to sell, but people do buy houses all year long. So when there might be more buyers in the market in the spring, there's also more sellers. So there's more competition for those buyers. You know, Jenny got on me when we were selling a house. Um, something about kids in schools and like the kids are getting out of school. So people are out looking to buy a house before the summer. Or they're trying to get the house purchased before school starts. Is that even something that's considered or does the volume overwhelm those sort of, is that a myth also? I wouldn't say that's a myth because some people certainly do plan that way. If they have particularly children in school, okay. they might be looking to move in the summer. But um, when spring, a lot of people will think spring is in June. But I would say the spring season starts in March. Sure. In that, when houses go on the market in March, if they go under contract in April, then they're closing in May, in June. So it just tends to be when people think spring, they probably want to think a little earlier than just uh, when the weather turns perfect. Okay, what are some other myths? We... What about... Um... Thanks for helping me. No problem. Because there's lots of them, so yeah. it's hard to pick one. Yeah, so how about the... How high should I set my price? Is that a myth or is that misguidance? Or Well, it's actually a good question. Mm -hmm. There are several different values to a home. One value might be the listing price. One value is the actual sales price. One value is an appraised value. One value might be one you get off a website somewhere. Setting the price for a home is a really a marketing tool. So when we talk about listing price, just like a store is going to put a product on a shelf to sell, the price is part of the P's of marketing that determine which market it's going to reach, where it's going to be positioned in that market, how are you going to promote it. So the listing price is really a tool to draw the appropriate group of buyers to your home. Ultimately, the sales price is gonna be determined between two parties, a ready, willing, and able buyer that's gonna offer what the seller is willing to accept. So the seller sometimes, if you're looking at myths, sometimes will look at what um, maybe they paid for the house at some point in time, and then they will want to add any improvements that they've made, and they'll look at how much they've spent on those improvements and want to add that to 
the value of the home. Maybe they'll want to add, you know, uh, they'll know what um, fees they're going to pay in that selling process. And they want to add that on to come up with what they think the home is worth or valued at. Okay. But ultimately, the market is going to determine the value of that home. Okay. Um, next myth maybe would be... Um... Let's talk about percentage rate hype. There's always like, it's going to go up, it's going to go down. Is that a seller or a buyer's myth? I'm not sure hype is a myth, but the interest rate does change. And that can impact buyer's ability to buy or how much a buyer is able to buy. Okay. The interest rates have been pretty low for a couple of years now. Um, if you talk to some folks that bought a home uh, 20 or so years ago and have paid uh, 18 or 20 some percent interest, um, they can kind of scoff at the current interest rates. Right. But the current interest rates have been so low for so long, people have gotten used to them. So any change still rocks the world a little bit but um, increases or decreases in the interest rate can potentially change how much a buyer can borrow okay um is this a myth hey i don't even need a realtor i got a buddy who's going to buy a house so why would i need to even work with a realtor for the same reason that you would hire a lawyer if you had to go to court um, or other professional um, because as a realtor I am a professional I've been working at it for eight years I certainly did a lot of studying um, to take my licensure exam I continue to do continuing education but I not only know the market I know the process I know where the pitfalls can be and I know what it means to have fiduciary responsibility, which means that my client's interests always go before my own. So without representation, you're not getting any of that. I got you. Um, okay. I guess that probably is all the myths that I could think about, that I could think of for selling a house. Uh, so what would be the first step? How do I know? Let's say I'm, I'm planning on selling my house. When's the right time to talk to a realtor? Whenever you're thinking about selling your home. Okay. How soon? Whenever you're thinking about selling your home. <laughs> Sometimes people will say, well, I'm not ready yet, or I'm getting the house ready. I always suggest, if you're thinking about it, talk to me sooner rather than later. Because... Maybe some people do have myths about what they need to do or don't need to do, but I can provide accurate information relevant to the current market on what may need to be done or what doesn't need to be done. So it really varies um, depending upon the home and the sellers, their time frame. When we were talking earlier about the time of the year, right. A lot of times people don't think about the lead time involved. So I was just um, working with a client this afternoon and we were looking at what the ideal move date was going to be. And then we were able to plan a strategy around that to get them where they wanted to be on time. So um, the other thing is sometimes people will make decisions about maybe doing improvements or not doing improvements and potentially sometimes I save people money in that or um, help them understand what may need to be done to be competitive in today's market or whether or not the market requires them to make improvements. So um, we can also deal with pricing strategy. So whether or not those improvements are going to equate into a potential higher value. And then sellers can make decisions on how they want to approach that. 
All right, step two. What's the next step? Once they talk to me about selling their home, we create a plan. So we look at the sellers, where they need to go and when they need to get there and what they need to get there. And then we look at timing. What are they going to need to do before they put their house on the market? I talk with them about what I would be doing as far as preparing the property for sale, getting the marketing ready, things along those lines. So we create some plans. Okay. What do you mean by marketing? There are a lot of different pieces to selling a home and marketing is an important piece because there are certain buyers out there that are going to be perfect for that home. And the goal in marketing is to make sure that we're reaching as many buyers in that category as possible. So marketing is going to include things like pricing. It's going to include things like um, advertising and where is the home going to be advertised? How is it going to be advertised? How much resources am I going to put into that advertising? When I work with sellers, I use a professional photographer because as far as advertising, the uh, general buyer population is looking on the internet. So that home has to say, come see me, look how gorgeous I am. So that's part of the marketing strategy. Um, advertising to the public is a piece of that. Advertising to other realtors is also a piece of that. What kind of um, special events are going to be? Are we going to do an open house? What kind of open house? A public open house, an agent open house? Um, some of that is going to depend on the market. Some of that's going to depend on the seller's wishes. I, I guess it probably depends on whether they actually live in the house also. So if they currently live in the house, they have furniture or two or three kids, toys. Um, we get all, we get asked to paint houses all the time before they go up for sale. And, and I'm uh, glad about that. Yeah. Because I, I assume the painting makes it easier to sell a house because it, it looks right or it looks cleaner. Um, let's talk about that for a second. So if I live in the house, do you encourage the homeowner to declutter or like I know there's staging that's something that's out there that helps houses sell or, or maybe it doesn't like so what are the, what step is that when you live in a house that's on the market it's a different lifestyle than when you just live in your home as the resident because when your house is on the market you're marketing it and there's only one chance to make a good first impression. So depending upon the sellers um, and their current lifestyle, like you said, maybe a number of children or pets or things along those lines, will de determine <coughs> what kind of preparation they might need. Um, another thing that'll impact that is gonna be the market. In some areas, it's just a, expectation that a home will be staged really now there's various levels of staging the basic would be decluttering maybe removing excess furniture when buyers come into a home they're looking at real estate and not just the lot and the house itself they're looking at floor space they're looking at counter space they're looking to see whether the home is clean or not. So when you talk about a fresh coat of paint, that certainly can perk up a house. Right. Or having Daryl from SVG come in and do a deep clean. I always tell sellers, to me, 85% of your staging is cleaning and clearing. Right. So I do have Daryl work with clients regularly. I I'm not... I'm clearly not a realtor, and I even tell people I'm not a realtor, but I give people guidance that I've heard realtors say, and almost removing the artwork for the most part, or removing like family photos, or I tell people whether they have a realtor or not, look, 
I know this this room's pink for the kids, and this other room's blue for the kids, and and you you really like this burgundy wall on on this wall here with the gray or whatever. But somebody who wants to buy this house doesn't want to buy your personality. They don't want to buy what you like. I like bringing houses back to a blank slate or neutral custom colors where these colors work for everybody. And I'm, you know they're like, oh, a gray, and I'm like. Some people like gray. Some people don't like gray. Some gray is purple. It has a purple or lavender hue to it. You don't want that gray. And some gray is blue. You may not want to have a whole blue house. Um, but I assume that's correct because if you're going to tap into the psychology of a buyer, you don't want to distract away from anything except for the house globally. You know, All of a sudden, if they see dirt under the rug... Oh, what's this sticking out from the rug? And they pick the rug up and look at where, well, what else is under the rug? They start, they start investigating harder and harder and harder. And it might change their interpretation of how the house looks. And that's that first impression right. that I referred to. And what you're describing, um, besides the cleaning part, we call depersonalization. Okay. Because obviously in your own home, you're making it your home. You're you're pulling in the things that you love, whether it's the colors or the artwork. You're going to have pictures of the people that mean the most to you or the events that, you know, have shaped your life. And all of those should be what people have in their homes until it's going from your home to a property that you're going to sell. And in the depersonalization, the goal is to help buyers see themselves living there. So if they're distracted by your wedding photos or um, particular, they might look at that burgundy wall and be thinking how hard it is to put three coats to cover that thing. Um, any of those things can distract the buyers from seeing, oh, well, look at these 42-inch cabinets or these high ceilings or at the crown molding and the detail of the work. So you want people to focus on the home itself and help them see themselves living there. Is there going to be enough room for their stuff? When I'm working with sellers, I recommend that they, um, even if their closets aren't totally jam-packed, they should have at least a quarter of the space empty because it does give a visual effect to buyers that I can see my stuff fitting in here. Yeah. I, I can totally agree with that. I know if, if I'm shopping for a house, I want the house either staged, lightly staged, or empty personally because I don't want to be distracted by items. And for some buyers, they prefer to see an empty space because they have the ability to visualize, visualize yeah. their stuff in it. Um, for other buyers, it might be harder for them because they don't can't really get an appreciation for, well, how much room is my couch going to take yeah, up? Yeah, where would the couch sit? Where would the TV go? Nothing se there doesn't seem like a net. I've, I've seen that in a lot of older houses where you're like, well, where, does, where do you even sit? Yeah. But so depending upon when we talk about staging, that can be anything from just decluttering and cleaning to um, totally bringing in a complete set of furniture. That's quite a varied um, line there. Sure. And there's costs associated right. um, with that as well. Again, it may depend. Houses at certain price points might lean more towards a complete staging in certain geographic areas. It really depends on the market. What about, or so where does this fall in the number of steps that we have to do? The staging part? All of that's going to happen before the house even hits the market. Okay. So there are things that the sellers are going to be working on. There are things that I'm going to be working on. I'm going to be setting up the photographer and doing the market research and um, preparing for open houses or the um, getting the advertising in place. The sellers are going to be deciding, are they going to be clearing out some things? Uh, are they going to be putting them in storage? Are they getting rid of stuff? Getting handyman work done. Getting painting finished. Sure. Um, maybe bringing in somebody like Daryl to do that cleaning. Because 
they're probably have a lot to do. So sometimes and the, more, the more layers you peel back, the more you're like, Oh my God, there's more to clean. And it does, it can seem like a daunting process, but the other thing I bring to the table is my connection with vendors like your painting company and right. Daryl's cleaning company and staging companies right. and the um, people to fix things and, and stuff like that. The idea is we're trying to reduce buyer objections. Right. So the fewer objections buyers have, the more likely they are to buy your house. So all of that, we want to happen before the house hits the market again because of that first impression so when all of that's taken care of and we have a target date for the house to hit the market i coordinate all the marketing around that the next thing you know the house is active live on the market when did we set the price in that um, phase where we're preparing the house for sale okay and we talk about the different values that a okay. home has. So the listing price may not be the exact sales price. I have seen homes sell for the listing price. A lot of what we take into account when we're setting that listing price is competition. What other homes are on the market? How do they compare with your home? Also, we take into account the seller's needs. Are they, do they have the luxury of um, extra time where they may want to try to test the market at a higher price? Um, there's risks associated with that, but there's also just in general pricing based on how people are shopping for homes today. With the internet, People are on all kinds of websites and they're searching for homes. I've never seen anybody enter in a upper limit price that ends at 999. So today in the internet world, people are searching with round numbers. So depending upon what those segments are, and it may change based on price point, if a home is in a lower price point, buyers might be searching in ten to twenty thousand dollar increments. Higher price points, it could be twenty-five thousand dollar increments, and above that, it could be fifty thousand. Or even some people are searching within hundred thousand dollar ranges. So, depending upon the home and the market, that's how we okay determine the list price. Okay, so now my house is on the market, price is set. I determined that I'm going to just clean the whole darn house out. Good. And I've got somewhere else to be. Okay, that happens. What um, open houses happen? Mm -hmm. I assume you go there. Do I go there? Seller does not have to be at open houses. And generally, I recommend sellers don't attend open houses. If it's a public open house, that can be hard for a seller to hear what the public might be saying about the house because the public might not love the house as much no doubt or in the same way I went to a an open house does. once and the the realtor was there but so were the owners man they just had this you could smell it's kind of desperate and they were just they were they were pitching us they were pitching about they I think they were just sharing how great the house was and the bones they were building value through that sales pitch but I think that you're used to not being approached. You're used to kind of just cruising it yourself. I guess to some extent I can see why it would be nice to have the seller there because they could point things out. But that was, a, it was a little bit like, well, well, yeah, it's great. And we were actually, weren't even, we were just kicking tires. Me and Jenny were, we were just kind of cruising through the house and let's check it out. It looks neat, you know, and there's an open house. So why not? So we weren't expecting. And then we, we were just like, oh, no, we're just we're just down the street, you know, that kind of thing. So they're like, oh, why are we? Well, if the sellers are there, then it's still their house. Sure. So you're not looking to buy that house. You're now a guest in their house. We were just checking it out. It would be kind of like when you go over somebody's house for dinner and you wouldn't look in their closets I know, or right? 
medicine cabinet. But buyers want to look in closets and cupboards and things like that, and they should be able to, right. which is why when a seller is talking with me about putting their house on the market, we talk about what do you have in those cupboards and what items of value and the risks that you know right. come with having people in your house. But when sellers are around, buyers do not feel comfortable taking in the house. And it, it can use usually a huge deterrent to buyers. I agree. Okay, so some open houses happen. And then um, what's the situation when I see other realtors' business cards on the counter? What's that move? What's that about? So the goal is to get as much exposure for your house when it's on the market as possible. And that will involve other agents that have buyers that they're working with that you want to have them show your home to their buyers in hopes that it would be a good match for their buyers. So in our area, as long as you're a member of the Board of Realtors, you can access uh, other homes that are listed by Board of Realtors. I use an electric electronic lockbox system. So the comings and goings of other agents can be tracked and we know who's been in a house and things like that. But one of the things I do is manage showings for sellers. So we work sometimes, um, the goal is to make the house as accessible as possible. But sometimes sellers might have restrictions. Maybe they do have young children or they have times when maybe they work at home that they can't um, you know, leave for. So we work around that as much as possible. But the goal is to get as many people into the house as possible to see it because that's how it gets sold. Okay. So what happens next? I guess somebody, let's say somebody wants to buy the house. So we'll know if our marketing strategy is effective, if, and again, this is gonna vary by market, but in the first couple weeks that the house is on the market, we should see activity. We should see um, buyers coming to look at the house. If the house is in appropriate condition and it's priced appropriately, listing price-wise, we should see maybe buyers coming back for second looks. And at some point in those first few weeks, you could expect to have offers. Lack of activity or traffic and lack of offers is a sign. It's more information in the process. It could indicate that maybe there's an issue with the condition of the house or maybe the list price is not quite right. But if those things are lined up, if the seller has um, worked with their realtor um, and followed the uh, basic advice, the goal would be is that we'd be getting offers in those first few weeks. So then the next step is to evaluate those offers. Okay. And um, I'm thinking of all the situations. Like when I was shopping for houses in Southern Virginia, I would find houses that were on the market for 200 days, 300 days in some cases. And I would go look at them and you couldn't figure out why they were on the market for so long without doing a really deep dive. Um, is that a situation? Okay, so I guess it's a situation where they wouldn't come down on the price to make it worth buying with the challenges that you could see even without a home inspection. Or they have to move out of that house and they owe too much and that's why the price is higher, right? And it could be. Sometimes it's a matter of location. The average days on market will vary in different markets. Okay. So sometimes it just takes longer for a house to sell. Um, it, things like um, a, a vacation area those homes tend to take longer to sell or it just might depend on you know different parts of a community so sometimes they're on the market longer because that's the norm but 
sometimes it is because they're priced too high. When you talk about a seller that maybe owes more on the house than what the market is willing to bear for that, they can price the house higher. But if the market doesn't support that price, they're because the same information that I share with sellers on the market and what things have been selling for is the same information that buyers have access to through their realtors. So you can price, a, a seller can price a house anywhere they want, but if it doesn't coincide with the reasonable market value, it does have a tendency to sit on the market because buyers aren't going to want to pay more than what the market will bear. Of course, unless they just really want it. And if they really want it, that adjust to what the market will bear. Or you also mentioned it could be a condition thing. If there's something that needs to be addressed in the house, a seller may need to do that before it actually sells. Sometimes a seller will say, well, um, you know, I'll give them an allowance for the carpet right. because the carpet's in such bad shape. I went and looked at a house one time and um, pretty good sized house, good sized yard, beautiful backyard. Um, it, the interior was masculine and, and I liked it as a second house for what I wanted to do with it. And we went and, vi we went and viewed it once. And then I said, you know what, let's go back and look at it again and let's take in a, um, a home inspection. And I think at that point I put an offer in. And it was contingent on home inspection and a few other things. It had rained for five straight weeks. And that showed that there was a, a leak in the roof that was significant. And it showed that there was moisture issues in the basement that were really significant. And the leak in the roof, they had even put a, a, a large Tupperware, like a, a storage bin up there that was collecting the water. So they knew it was there. And the storage, it, it filled up so much it tipped over based on the house. It was balanced on the rafters. And then that poured into the living room, which was the living room and the dining room. And I'm like, whoa. And I remember my aunt, who's the realtor there, she's like, this is not, this is not how the condition was when we looked at it, you know, three or four weeks ago mm -hmm. before we had decided to put an offer in and have a home inspection scheduled. Um, and then it just it just unfolded and unfolded and unfolded from there on on the challenges and the house is still there it's still for sale two years later so it's been on the market for three and a half years but it sounds like it needs some work exactly but it's those are just things that i guess it was just the condition that was the reason why it wasn't selling and they would not come off a certain price so whatever we can alleged the situation was is just the way the situation was. And I was, I was lucky that I, backed, I was able to back out of that purchase. So let's say we get an offer offers entertained. They offer, if I'm selling a house for $225,000, what would be a, an example of an offer I would receive? Hypothetically. Well, maybe you get $225,000 right. sales price, but although the sales price is a big driver, of that offer. There's other elements, terms of the offer that we're going to want to consider before you make your decision. Like what? And when I say we, I'm talking about you, the seller. Ultimately, it's your decision. Right. I'll provide the information and you'll make the decisions. So we look at everything from the sales price. Another piece might be if buyers are asking for a seller subsidy to help them with their closing costs. Okay. Another might be the closing date. Yeah. Maybe the buyers, they're offering you the Hold on. seller full... subsidy. Let's back up to that for a second. Okay. Why do I need a subsidy? Could be for a lot of reasons. Maybe it's for that carpet that we were talking about. I'm the seller. It's called a seller subsidy because the seller is going to subsidize part of the purchase. Due to maybe damage in the carpet or it needs to be painted because I chose crazy colors. It could be those kinds of things. Yeah. Frequently today what we see is buyers asking 
for a seller subsidy for their closing costs. So when buyers come in, remember when we talked about buying a home, buyers are going to borrow, generally, borrow right. some money to buy a home, but they have other fees that they pay. Some of those are related to their loan. They have origination fees, mm -hmm. appraisal, whole bunch of fees that they're going to pay in exchange for borrow, being able to borrow that money. That so this is just part of the dance then? Could be, mm -hmm. yes. So sometimes buyers will ask a seller to subsidize some of those closing costs. So we call it seller subsidy. Some people refer to it as closing cost assistance. Is there a buyer's subsidy? Well, the buyer's getting the subsidy. But it's going to affect the seller's bottom line. Right. That's why we look at it as an important term. So maybe if they come at me and say, hey, you want 225, we're going to give you, we want to offer you 220. We'll give you 225, but we want 5,000 in seller subsidies, right? It's a possibility. Hypothetically, right? I'm just walking through a path here. And I'm going to say, well, I need this house to move. So if, I'll give you the 5,000 in seller subsidies if we can knock this out in the next 30 days. Is that reasonable? Is that like a... Closing date is another term that can be negotiated. Mm -hmm. So in that case, if the buyer's willing and able, they'd have to be able to actually get all that processing done with their lender and whatever else they have to do to close in 30 days, then if that works for you, that might be a benefit versus another buyer who might be looking for a 45-day close. So closing date um, is an important term. If let's say you really don't want to move in 30 days and the buyer's looking for a quick close, but that doesn't work for you, then that's a potential negotiating point. Okay. Other things that are going to be part of that offer that you'd want to look at are contingencies, Okay. which yeah. would include buyer making their offer contingent on a home inspection in our area we see a lot of radon tests how's that how's that terminology uh, satisfactory home inspection the goal of the home inspection is for the buyer to do his or her due diligence on the condition of the home and you know they're not going to take anybody's word for anything so they're going to do a home inspection and if the buyer is not satisfied with the condition of the home relative to the price they offered they might have some options that they would present to the seller they might ask the seller to make some repairs they might ask the seller to adjust the sales price or the buyer can decide that they are not going to proceed with the contract so the home inspection most buyers are coming at it within a licensed home inspector they better be if they want to do anything with that information what do you mean do anything if it wasn't a licensed home inspector right. then uh, I would be leery of my sellers making a decision based on any information that person might provide so if I had a if I was a buyer rather if my buyer who's gonna buy my house came in with his handyman buddy and they kind of walked around the house and took a look at it I could say this guy isn't even a legit home inspector so your claims are there's not... potential for that right because a home inspector's job is to find as many things that are wrong or a concern throughout the house anyways the buyer I'm sorry the home inspector is working for the buyer right. at that point yes yeah, and I, as a seller, I wouldn't recommend them having unlicensed people going sure. through their house. That's great. I, I like that, and that's in the writing, I'm sure. But so, no matter what, if I set my price at two twenty-five, and they walk the house, and this guy spends two to three hours just grilling my house and saying, "Well, look at this, and look at this, and look at this, and look at this," that gives the buyer all the information they need to mess with my price. Or come at it with contingencies. 
It depends. Depends on how realistic the buyer is. If some of those things that the home inspector is going to make note of is just relevant to the age of a home or um, the area or whatever it might be. So I guess some of that depends on how badly the buyer wants the home, what they're willing to accept as part of the age of the home. Mm -hmm. um, but can't this scenario... So in other words, if, if I have a home inspector in there, that means I'm under contract, right? Someone's put an offer in at this point? Generally, it's possible. Sometimes people, a buyer, will request to do a home inspection before they make their offer. But we don't see that generally in our area. Okay. Now, can I add one thing? Sure. We didn't talk about before the house goes on the market. Some of my sellers will do a pre-listing home inspection. So they actually hire a home inspector to come in and do that overview so that they will know, is there something maybe they're not aware of? That's or pretty slick. Okay. are there things that maybe they want to um, have repaired before they put the house on the market? So it's a strategy that can be utilized to maximize the seller's value as well as so the seller the, the seller could head most of it off at the pass potentially yeah because they could pretty much get ahead of it and then that would really give another home inspector that was brought in by the buyer like oh man this this house is pretty good like they can't really find as much now again for the most part the house is going to be under contract okay great i accept your 225 with home inspection and contingencies or whatever then they take some time before they're able to get the home inspector to come in then the home inspector takes their time getting the report to the buyer then the buyer's like okay we're, we're trying to figure out if we want to do this house but we also like that house over there maybe we can get that price on that house lower so we can actually pause on this house to buy that house doesn't that process tie up my house like off the market because there's an offer in or it's under contract when a seller enters into a contract and that's when that offer is accepted and everybody signs off there always is some element of risk there because in the contract it says both parties are going to do what they say they're going to do now one of the ways we keep things moving forward is for example with that home inspection there would be a time frame set out by that in the amount of time that the buyer has to get the home inspection done and if there's any follow-up from that there's time frames spelled out for that too so the goal is that everybody's still working towards the um, settlement date now if a buyer decides they see a house they think they like better and wants to abandon the contract they can do that they may be opening themselves up for legal action or if there's been an earnest money deposit as part of that contract they could potentially lose that money when Jenny and I were selling a house there was an earnest deposit that was really significant that was put down and that gave me a lot of confidence that these people were looking to really buy this house right and that's that you're talking about is that that's you can put down 500 you can put down a thousand but this person put down a lot of money that was a good sign correct it can be if though that person voids the contract because of the contingencies any contingency that was in that contract uh, they can get their earnest money deposit back but yes the idea behind the earnest money deposit is that the buyers making a statement of their earnest commitment to following through to, yeah, yeah but okay the earnest money deposit is also a negotiable piece of the offer a buyer doesn't have to offer earnest money deposit. Okay. So where are we in the steps here? So we're under contract. Yes. We had a home inspection done. Yes. That's fine. Everything looks great. While 
the buyer is working on those things. The seller is pro proceeding with their plans. They're ordering pods. They're packing stuff. Um, they're getting ready for their move. Behind the scenes, the buyer's lender has been doing work. The closing attorney is doing work to prepare for the closing. So it just depends so on... So on the seller side, there's not much else going on. Getting ready to move. Okay. Now, let's say the buyer, after the home inspection, says, oh, we found a leak in the roof. Mm -hmm. Everything else looks pretty good, but this thing we see, it's around this little edge, is probably not nailed down correctly or whatever. So maybe the seller agrees to make some repairs. So the seller might be working on that kind of stuff in that time. I see. Okay. I think I understand it. What was next? I mean, just going to the table and, sell, and uh, signing? For the sellers, mm -hmm. pretty much. You know, the buyers are working with their lender. This is a much easier process than buying. At, maybe at some point. Okay. <laughs> right? Because remember all of the work that me and the sellers have done even before the house went on the market. Sure. So while the house is under contract, me, the realtor, is working through that process and managing that process. It's on the front end. So for the sellers, yes, they've done a lot of work ahead of time. They've dealt with living in their home while it's on the market and having to accommodate showings and making their decisions on offers and things like that. Once an offer is accepted, as we manage the rest of that process to closing, the sellers may not have as much to do. It depends on it, yeah, any the, changes. The, the timing and the process. Um, am I correct in understanding that there's a type of financing that's not as favorable? Is it is is like a like VA loans or some other some other sort of loan that's not as favorable because it could get turned down or something like that? There are a variety of loan products right. that a buyer may want to use and the type of loan that a buyer intends to use is going to be an element of an offer that a seller may consider when they're looking at those overall terms. Some of those products have different criteria. You talk about a VA loan. Okay. It's a great product because um, people like yourself that have served in the military are the ones that qualify to use that product. Um, buyers can get 100% financing, so a lot right. of benefits there. But it is a government-backed product, so there's like a little, I'm not a lender, but I would say there's a little extra checklist that a home has to meet in order to um, qualify for that. Nothing terribly out of the ordinary because it's all safety related right. um has a lot to do with safety but as a seller is one attractive more attractive than the other well cash is king green money so green money cash, cash offer you're talking about the, like a suitcase full of money well not necessarily in a suitcase <laughs> but if a buyer is not financing a purchase if they already have Mm -hmm. their money in the bank they may have already sold another home or maybe somebody's given them a gift or maybe they um they have, have the been right saving money. up sure yep and they're paying cash for a home that's hard to compete with and by cash you mean not financing correct gotcha correct not, so not a, not a suitcase full of hundred dollar bills which okay that'd be fun some of the things though that a seller might look at when they're entertaining offers is the type of loan, and not necessarily the loan itself, but maybe how much of a down payment is the buyer making. So like we talk about a loan that doesn't have a down payment requirement versus maybe a conventional loan where the buyer's making a 20% down payment or um, even in a case where a buyer might be making more than the 20% down payment. So 
a seller might look at a buyer that has a 30 or 50% down payment as maybe just a little bit more committed to the process. But again, it depends on all of those terms together. Sometimes people um, with cash think that they can get a home for less than market value. And it's possible that a seller might give up a little bit of value in exchange for not having the lending process occur. But it could be expedited time-wise. Potentially, yep. Right. Yep. But people aren't going to give away way their house right definitely definitely not um patty do you sell more or buy more houses that's a great question because um up until this year about 70 percent of my business was in listing Mm -hmm. um the first couple of months of this year i have had more uh work with buyers than i've had with sellers so i do anticipate the balance the year will balance out but i've been very busy with buyers lately okay is there anything we've missed with the um uh selling a house it is a long involved process and it is definitely beneficial for sellers to have somebody looking out for their interests in the process um, and helping them maximize the value of their home so we kind of just sort of skim the surface um, it is pretty uh, more complex and intricate but I, I, it'd be impossible really to discuss it with more detail because each house is different and each house is in a different condition and each owner owes more or less, you know, in their situations. So it must be a very, a very dynamic situation with a lot of moving pieces before you can come to terms with where you want to be on the pricing and the timing and the circumstances. It's got to be a very fluid situation. Uh, tell me this. Why should I hire Patty Sherwood to list my house? Besides the fact that I'm fun, uh -huh. <laughs> I, uh, I consider myself a local expert in our market, which is important in that pricing strategy and in marketing overall. What are some things you do to become a local expert? I monitor the market every day. Um, I don't try to uh, thin myself out. I focus in primarily Jefferson and Berkeley counties. Okay, hold on. So when you say you monitor the market every day, is the emphasis, is the emphasis on monitoring or is the emphasis on every day? I assume any realtor can monitor the market a couple times a week or once a week or a couple times a month. Is it the everyday side that makes you that sharp? Yes, because there's new information daily. I look at the houses that hit the market. I look at the houses that have sold. I look at the houses that have gone under contract. So in doing that, I know I have my finger on the pulse. Good. So even though I will not provide, um, you know, I won't just show up at somebody's house and take, you know, and go, oh, well, you know, your house is worth such and such. But I do go in already having a pretty darn good idea just based on my knowledge of the market. Um, and then, of course, you know, we talk about pricing strategy and things like that. But the information that comes out daily, yes, somebody can look at it periodically, but um, that's a lot of information. So how much of it are they really uh, working with is the question. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right, cool. So I, I interrupted you, but you are a um, local market expert because you monitor it every day what are some other things i believe in um, creating lasting relationships with mm -hmm. my clients so that doesn't mean that they have to be you know friends with me forever but it does mean that i treat them 
as if I want them to be in my life forever. So I'm not in there just to do a transaction. I'm in there to help achieve their goals and get them what they need, maximize the value in their sale, and ideally be happy at the end of it. Um, Because sometimes the process doesn't go in a straight line and it can be tough on sellers and I'm there for emotional support and whatever else they need. Well, I know Jenny and I have had a really great relationship with you since we got started. And then how did we meet? Oh, we met through Bros and Bras. Yeah. And then I was like, you're the one I'm going to talk to. When and it I comes appreciate to that. Buying a house. And I can't remember even how I reached out to you when the house that we're standing in now came up, but um, you were the one I was in the contact. So I appreciate that. And Jenny appreciates that. We, we love seeing you guys out and we love having that relationship with you because you helped us buy a house and then you helped us sell a house. And that's the fun part of my work because how else would I have become friends with you and Jenny? Mm-hmm. I, I can't keep up with you on the running trail. So <laughs> Right. And by the way, I saw your video. That was a big step. You promotion? Oh, that thank is out, you. right? It is okay, on the, cha- like, oh on the uh, chamber website. Yeah, yeah. I was like, am I speaking out of turn? No, we're still. Um, I'm still working with that company um, that's producing that project, um, and it will end up on the county website too. So, we're, so it's not released, or it is released? It is. The okay. video is released. We're just working on some other ancillary things related to that. But Where can thanks. somebody go to see this video? Because it's really great. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I think it might feature Jenny. It definitely does. And I'm sorry I couldn't be in it, but I had to travel that day. and We missed you. And Jenny grinds me down. She's like, oh, you should be here for Patty's video. I'm like, baby, I got to travel. I got to go. So I really regret not being here to support you in that. But I saw Jenny's component of it, and she was dynamite. And you're dynamite. So... Where can we see this video? Right now, the only place to see it is on the Jefferson County, West Virginia Chamber of Commerce website. Why aren't you tossing it all over social media? It, the fi- it was just finalized, the video itself. Okay. So now we're in the process of putting it on my website. So and, we saw it as a very early yes. edition. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Which the final version looks pretty much the same, but we made some corrections and stuff. So that's really cool. It is. I was excited to be part of that project promoting. It certainly is about my business, but I um, got involved because I wanted to be able to promote the community and the chamber of commerce. That's really great. Um, how do we get a hold of Patty? Call me, text me, 304-279-4795. And you have a website? I do have a website. Um, and for people, particularly if you're interested in searching uh, for real estate, I'll send them to Patricia Sherwood dot the letters L-N-F dot com. L and F for Long and Foster. Yeah. LNF. Yeah. My website, Almost Heaven, West Virginia, is being uh, having some work done on it. And the video will be up on there, too. But that's kind of uh, in the construction stages right now. I get it. Always rebuilding. I'm in the same boat. Is there anything we miss? Is there anything we need to talk about? Besides, I mean, we, we went over the whole, you know, 10,000-foot view of buying a house or selling a house, rather. Uh, Anything else you need to tell us about? Any events you're going to be at? Anything you want to invite people to where they want to get to know you? You're always at Chamber. I'm always at Chamber. I was going to say, we have um, a Chamber event coming up on the 10th of March. The Jefferson County Chamber is having their monthly mixer at Inkwell's Tavern in Charlestown. The 10th? It's like in a couple of days. It is. It's on Tuesday. Um, and they are having a signature drink for us yeah, I heard about that, that too. evening. Um, but yeah, the chamber has monthly networking events. They have monthly membership meetings. Great place to find out about what's happening in our community. 
and right. meeting great people. And, you know, and it's always it's always nerve wracking to be on a podcast. And Patty's been brave enough to come on twice with me, even with all my patterns of interrupting and asking silly questions. But you can go search the um, Jefferson County Chamber of Commerce's kind of their event page, and I bet you'll see Patty at one of those events if you show up. And let her know. Say, I heard you on the podcast. You sounded so great. Right? Um, well, Patty, thank you so much for being on the podcast again. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's Thanks always for, fun hanging out with you. Thanks for breaking it down for Bracken. Have you heard of Bracken's painting? I started Bracken's painting back in 2011. We do both residential and commercial painting. We have contractors' licenses in West Virginia and Virginia, and we carry all the necessary insurances like workers' comp, general liability. Uh, we operate a small staff that focuses on meeting the homeowner's needs and project manager's timeline expectations. Uh, we, pri we try to have exceptional attention to detail. If you're interested in doing any sort of commercial or residential painting, please contact Bracken's Painting. More information can be found at www.brackenspainting.com. One of my friends from the Leadership West Virginia program, Rob Passmore, is this year's race director for the Poco River 15K. The Poco River 15K is West Virginia's oldest road race, and this year it is held on May 2nd. Poco is just a few miles north of Charleston, West Virginia. This year's course is the same as the older course because the new bridge has been built and they can run across the bridge and complete the loop. If you want to learn more about this 15K, which comes out to 9.3 miles, you can look it up, Poca, P-O-C-A, River Run on Facebook.com or Poca River Run on RunSignup.com.